We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. PQ, what it do, said Notre Dame beats OSU, Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. One is a blowout. One is a wire-to-wire close game. One is an epic comeback. Which game would you want each to be? I'm going OSU blowout, USC close, Clemson comeback. Yeah, 100%, Ryan. Right there. Right there. The The only thought that I had where I maybe flip it is maybe flip USC and Ohio State, where Ohio State's the epic comeback. Just because if you blow a house eight out, maybe it changes the narrative about them a little bit. Well, actually, I am going to change you know? it. I am going to change it because if it's a USC comeback, then you could be like, wow, Sam Hartman brought him back against Caleb Williams. Like, that is a storyline, man. Like, that would yeah. drive me. Yeah, that would drive me And then me you just beat Clemson on the road in a wire-to-wire yeah, close game. A tough game. team. A tough yeah. team in yeah. Death Valley. Like, yeah, cool, cool. Go yeah. do that. I, I love the idea of, an, of a comeback on the road. That's my only thing is that road game right. comeback. But I but there's a lot of different ways you could do this. I mean, you could turn this dog different ways, but I'll say this, man, if if those are the results against those three teams, I'll be a happy dude. Because you're gonna I mean, you're gonna need games like that, right? And the, Notre Dame is not gonna go out in every game this year, even if they go 12 and 0. They're not gonna go out in every game this year and just control it from start to finish. Agree. They're just not. They're gonna need yeah. to come back at some point in time. They're gonna have some team that 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 they're gonna have to say, hey, you know, we we struggled and and we have to make it work. I mean, even the sure. 2010 team that went 10 and 0 in the regular season. I mean, do you remember how ugly that game was against Louisville where they had to grind that 12 7 game out? I mean, that 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 was not a pretty game at all. You know, I mean, you had other games where, you know, hey, you were a little sloppy, but again, you did that against one of the easiest schedules Notre Dame has ever faced because of the way that COVID went down that year. I mean, so it's just hard to do that. I mean, 2018, they went undefeated, but they had to scrap and claw to beat Vanderbilt. You know, I mean, they had to scrap and claw to beat Ball State. They had to come back against Pitt and win in the fourth quarter against Pitt. They were losing to Pitt almost the entire game. So even that, you were down 10 nothing to USC, a, a not very good USC team. You're down 10 nothing to them early and they had to come back. It's going to happen, yep. right? And, and we've seen this from great teams that have won titles. I mean, remember how bad LSU looked in 2019 against Auburn? Beat them twenty three to twenty, right? You're going to have games like that. They had to they had to go play four quarters against Texas that year, 
And that was that by far, Ryan, to me, I, we, we don't talk about this game enough. That was one of the best games of that season, or at least most entertaining games of that season was that Texas LSU game in week two. That was a fun game. Sam, that, that, that Sam Ellinger, I mean, that's, he put that team on his shoulders in a way that you just, you don't see from a guy that doesn't have like Vince Young talent. You know what I he mean? Did the, he did that a lot of Texas. Man, he did. He was just kind of, I would have, he back. was, he was very Colt McCoy-ish. He just didn't play with yeah. the team talent that Colt McCoy had. You know what I mean? Like, but I liked watching that kid play. I, it yeah. really did. He He's did a lot more for that team kid. than people give him credit for. He was a fun he, kid to watch. He was, he was like Texas's version, not quite as much, but to, he's like Tim Tebow's, the Texas Tim Tebow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not as dominant, but yes. Yeah. How important yeah. he was to that team. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nick Rowland said, hey guys, love your stuff. Was wondering if y'all predict any drop-off in strength and conditioning since Matt Bayless left. Go Irish. We won't see that in season. If there is yeah. a drop-off, Nick, it would be something happens in the off-season. The reason I say that is, is because Matt Bayless was part of putting the in-season plan together. It, it the whole schedule for the whole year is played out. It's already him and Matt, him and Marcus Freeman put that together before Matt Bayless left. And I don't think that's a surprise. I don't think Matt Bayless just just woke up one morning and decided I'm leaving today. I, I think it came over time, and he he knew there were some things he needed to get done first to make sure he sure. left the team in the right position. And and I have a feeling that that's just my opinion. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I believe. So basically with Coach Hale and the rest of the strength staff, it's like, hey, guys, the plan's here. Carry it out. Right. And and so if you're going to see problems, it's going to be next offseason when you be, get back in January and if you hire a new strength coach and he, that guy's not up to snuff, then then you'll start seeing some of those issues sort of in the spring and, and next fall and those type of things. But you won't necessarily see that this this year, in my opinion. Like All that stuff's already planned out, in my view. I agree. I agree. From Maltavius for the Super Chat. Thank you so much. Happy Labor Day weekend, IB Nation. Long season ahead of us. How about this running back group? The combination of strength, speed, strength, and ag- agility. Best since? I mean, if everybody was healthy, the only other running back room that could compete with this, if everyone was healthy, was 2015. You had Torin Folson, CJ Procise, Josh Adams, and Dexter Williams. I mean, that that's the close. Because you had CJ and, and Josh could give you home run speed. Dexter was agile. Torian was really agile. You didn't necessarily have like the hammer that you have at Audric, but athletically, very similar. I mean, that yeah. Dexter Williams was your four going into that year. 
you're pretty good at running back when Dexter Williams is your four. Yeah. But this group goes five deep. I mean, after that, it's like there's been some really good one-two punches, Ryan. Jonas Gray and Sierra Wood in 2011. Sierra and Theo in 2012. You had George Atkinson off the bench as an explosive guy. But George was never a like a really um, natural runner. You yeah. know, he was just more he of a home run hitter. Yeah. yeah. You know, 2010, you had Armando and Sierra and Robert Hughes. That was a pretty good group, good. but it, it didn't have the explosiveness that this group had. This is why I said Notre Dame recruited running back a lot better than people think outside of the Autry Denson tenure. I mean, they, they put some pretty talented groups on the field. You know, I mean, you, you look at the 2014 running back room. It was young, but you had Greg Bryan, you had Torian Folston. I mean, you had some some talented players on that group. Uh, so, I, but this group is a little different animal, Ryan, to me. It, it is just because how it, it's, it's literally, literally five deep. And yeah, Terry Colston's always going to be one of those guys for me that like, if yeah. he never got injured, I wonder what his legacy would have been in the yep. game. Like, I think he would have been a really good yep. player at Notre Dame, man. <laughs> he was such an underrated player on that 2014 team. He, he was, yeah. I, I've told people go back and watch him against Florida state that year. He was so good against Florida State that year, 120 yards on 121. Everybody talks about how good Everett was, and he was. And, you know, Will Fuller made some catch. Torin Folson had 120 yards on 21 carries in that game. And then they played against Louisville later in the year. He had 134 yards on 18 carries. That was a really good Louisville rush defense that year. I believe they were top 10, Ryan. I'm going to look this up here real quick. Pretty sure Louisville that year was a top 10 rush defense, 2014. You know, Louisville finished 10th. That year gave up 108 yards, and if I remember correctly, Torian Folson was one of only two running was one of only three running backs to rush for 100 yards against Louisville that year. The others were, if I, I'm trying to remember this correctly, Dalvin Cook was one of them, and I believe Nick Chubb was the other one. Not bad, but only that was you it. know Pro Bowl Pro Bowl running backs. So yeah, not too bad. And then Torian Folson, that was it. Yeah. You know. He was such, and then he didn't have a bunch of yards against LSU, but he was he grinded that game, which allowed Malik to get outside and and did the jet sweep work. And he had that great cut block on the perimeter of that fifty yard touchdown run by by CJ Prosize. He was a to your point, right? Very underrated, and he looked really good on that run. He got hurt on, like yes. he just hit that sucker. It's like man, yeah, that's the mm-hmm. biggest what if team, not what if game, but that's the biggest what if team. Like how good would that team have been? If Jerron Jones, Sean Crawford, Malik Zaire, and Torian Folson all stayed healthy that year, like that team would have been really scary good. Yeah. They were still pretty good anyway. <laughs> I mean, yep. You know what I mean? But that would have been fun to watch, dude. No doubt. Connor Grant with the super chat. Thank you, Connor. With the incoming 12 team playoff and the potential rise of struggling but blue blood programs. Will this benefit Notre Dame from a recruiting standpoint as top talent is more widely dispersed? Hmm. I, would help. Um, I don't know, Connor, that the 12-team playoff is going to have an impact on recruiting like people think. What, what I think is what, what I think is going to help disperse the talent more than anything is NIL. And I've said this for a while because it's going to allow Colorado to go out and buy a kid through NIL. It's going to allow Arizona State to go get a Jaden Rashada, where before NIL, they have no shot at Jaden Rashada. He's going to go to a traditional program before NIL, right? Or somewhere under the table, right? Exactly. 
where he gets a hundred grand under the table, right. From somebody, uh, Oregon, maybe it, it allows Notre Dame to be able to compete for certain players who would have still got a lot of money under the table from other teams, but now Notre Dame can do NIL stuff. I'm not going to mention who, but there's been a couple guys that, that I believe that to be the case. It, it allows Miami to quickly rebound a little bit from a recruiting standpoint. It's going to allow um, South Carolina to get the, the um, Dylan Stewart. Right? If, if there's no NIL, Dylan Stewart's not going to South Carolina. I agree. Nicholas Harbor's not going to South Carolina. And I'm not saying they cheated. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying the NIL has allowed them to do that. It's the, the NIL allowed South Carolina to put a, a package together for a kid who is a great football and track player like Nicholas Harbor. They do not get him. He goes to LSU or Florida or Oregon or some other team that's got a more established pr- program in both areas. So I, I think – Did you see, did I you see Harbor's playing wide receiver, by the way, which is just ridiculous. insane at 6 plus 5, 240? Like what? It's nuts. <laughs> Like we could we could go down the long list of schools that kids that, that, that of players that have gone to schools that they don't normally go to because of NIL. Right. And and I think that's a good thing. I, I you know, look, I, I don't like the way that NIL has impacted that to that degree, but sure. I think the talent being spread out is is beneficial in that regard. Yeah. Because those guys are you know, just one less kid to Bama gets, one less kid to Georgia gets, one less kid that Ohio State gets by each of those schools. And next thing you know, it's four or five, six kids that those schools don't normally get that are right. now going to these places. And to me, that helps make – that's the kind of parity I want in a sport. Like, I hate the word parity just for the sake of parity. Like, the NFL does things to try to take down the top teams. What I've always believed is let's do yeah. more things to help build up those other teams. Say, if you're willing to put in the work and put in the investment and spend the money – you can do this, right? Like, you know, those type of things are, I'm good with that, but I don't like it where let's make the rules harder. So Bama can't do what they're doing to win, you know, like, well, let's not let Bama have the number of assistants they have. Well, how about you go spend the money and then hire those number of assistants? You know what I mean? Like, how about you do that instead of trying to keep them from doing things that aren't illegal, right? It's one thing if a school's like just blatantly like cheating, but nobody else is, that's a different deal. Sure. But I think parody the right way, and that's what I think NIL has done. NIL has helped. I know that some of you will never believe me until Notre Dame could just flat out give money to a high school kid, which they're not going to do. NIL has it has helped Notre Dame improve their roster. Notre Dame's roster is better today than it would have been had NIL not been a thing the last two years. By how much? That's debatable. But I'm telling you, there's at least three or four guys on this roster through transfer and high school that I don't know that Notre Dame gets them if it's not for NIL. I'm just going to leave it at that. And 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 um, not that Notre Dame promised them anything, but they know, they talk to Notre Dame players. Man, oh my, Michael Mayer, he made how much money? So now all of a sudden, so I can go there, get this f- first-class education, play for Coach Freeman, who I love, do all this, and I can get this money to help take care of my family? Bet. Right. Go to Notre Dame. Yep. That is, that's not a, a fantasy of what may happen. I'm telling you, that has happened. And it's not because Notre Dame's promising these kids money because the kid that's smart enough to want to go to Notre Dame is going to look further than just the immediate handout. Because the kids that are getting the immediate handouts, here's the thing, guys, Jaden Rashada would have never come to Notre Dame if NIL wasn't a thing. Because he still would have been looking for a handout. It's just a different type of handout. Those kids have always existed, and they've never come to Notre Dame. But there are kids who genuinely have need that look at this opportunity and say, I can get the best of both worlds. 
I can right. get this money because every player gets X amount of dollars through the collectives and all this kind of stuff. So I'm at least sending something home to my family. But if I'm as good as I think I am, then I can really take care of my family at Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame can now talk about the brand, your brand as a player. Like Braylon James being on the doing the rap for that one highlight. That's something Notre Dame talked to him about during the NIL process of look, we can do this for you. Exposure. Yeah. Right. And it yeah. mattered. Now, Braylon's a kid who probably still comes to Notre Dame anyway, because his family, yeah. just the way he was raised and the emphasis on education. But what I'm saying is that's something that helps solidify that to where when other schools come calling, it's like, no, you, you can't give me anything that Notre Dame can't give me. Right. Right. And that's the whole thing is, is now that's good for college football, in my opinion. And then, of course, you know, Ohio State loses a kid, you know, Miami. Like if there's no NIL, Mark Fletcher's at Ohio State, not at Miami. I mean, right. I mean, there's three or four kids at Ohio State lost last year that were just pure NIL buys. That if NIL is not a thing, Ohio State has those guys. So, yeah, I don't like the process, but the process is getting me to a result that I think I enjoy better for the game. I just wish we could get to it a little bit of a healthier manner. In my opinion, there's a lot of those situations too. I mean, even look at like Dante Moore, right? Where it's like, when would Dante Moore ever end up at UCLA in reality, right? If we're being honest with ourselves, I mean, that stuff happens every single year now with NIL the way it is. So, I, yeah. So, you know, my thing with Dante is I would actually say, Ryan, Mm -hmm. if NIL wasn't a thing, I could actually see Dante still ending up at UCLA. He never would have gone to no Oregon just because his dad would have always been looking for a handout. Right. Sure. And UCLA or someone, Texas A&M would have still given him under the table money. That would have gotten Dante too, though. Oregon would too, though. I don't know that he wanted to go to Oregon. (laughs) Well, no, I I get that part. I'm just saying for the money side of things. Right. But what I'm saying is Oregon's not a place I don't think Dante necessarily ultimately went. He liked Kenny Dillingham a lot. That's the only reason he went to Oregon. Uh, But yeah, I could see something like that. Yeah, I could see something like that. But to your point, like kids like that, they were always looking for money. But would it have been UCLA or would it have been some other team like AM, LSU that would have done something under the table? Right. Exactly. That would be the question. Yeah. With with a kid like him. And it's not because of of who who was running that recruitment, in my opinion. Shaquille Oatmeal, thank you for the super chat. Hi all. What is the best drink to avoid cramps? Gatorade or Powerade? (laughs) Asking for a friend, as always. Love the content. All love for you guys. From Spain. I am so telling Vince that you posted this in this one. Um, Gatorade, in my opinion, is, yeah, I think Gatorade is too. the best. Got, those ele- yeah. got that high level of electrolytes, man. Yeah. I'll let Vince know. I'll call him real quick. <laughs> Raymond Hart with a super chat. What's up, Raymond? Says, just want to keep Irish for life in our prayers. He has been struggling lately. Thank yeah. you and go Irish. And he actually has uh, something that we'll bring up at the end. I have one of uh, his okay. prayer requests at the end that gotcha. we'll bring up. So sounds good. Oops, we sorry. Have... Sorry. I... Yep. We already had that one. I pulled up the gotcha. wrong one. This was from Domer Grizz. It says Happy Friday, YouTube as well. Who are other players over the years where talents were wasted by the coaching staff the way Jalen Smiths were and Chris Tyrese has it had been? Oh man, we could we could literally do a whole show on that. I mean, <laughs> I'll just I'll just most ovals one for me that I'll four always years, look back yeah. and be like, dude, if he could have played four years under Charlie Weiss, yeah, like what his numbers could have looked like. 
because they sure. like the strength. It was the strength program. They got him too big and stiff. Like he lost some of his explosiveness. And yeah, most of all is definitely one that I look at and be like, man, I I would have loved to see what Jerry's Jackson could have done on a Lou Holtz team his entire career, as opposed to Bob Davey. Sure. That's another one. And I'm gonna tell you right now, here's a guy that I think would have been a stud in college if he was if he was playing in Lou for Lou Holtz. Carlisle Holiday. Carlisle Holiday, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been an absolute dude running Lou Holtz's offense. I agree. Like, I don't mean any disrespect to Ron Paulus, because Ron Paulus could have been a good college quarterback in a different system. He could he was not meant for Notre Dame. But if if you could flip the their tenures, like when they were at Notre Dame, and if if Carlisle Holiday, he might have extended Lou Holtz's tenure at Notre Dame, in my opinion. If Carlisle Holiday was there in 94, 95, and 96, I think that team would have looked a lot different. I love that kid coming out of hand, uh, San Antonio, man. He was so good. But yeah. they just – they never really built around – like, he was Tony Rice. He, I mean, that's who Carlisle – big arm, not super accurate, dynamic runner. Like, Carlisle and Lou Holtz's offense, Ryan, would have been so good. I loved Carlisle so Holiday. Oh, that's the reason I got – my, my first jersey was a number seven jersey because of yeah. Carlisle Holiday, actually. <laughs> like, I oh, Carlisle, he would have been man. so good in that offense, man. He yeah. was a guy that I thought got wasted a little bit. That's um, a good one. Yeah, Phil I mean, I mean, a lot of players on the 2005 team, like Brady Quinn was yeah. wasted for two years. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, th- th- there were – pick a receiver in the last 10 years. I mean, you know, just – yeah, a lot of guys like that. I in anybody on the on, on a Brian Van Gorder coach team, Cole Luke is one that comes to mind. The longer he oh, played for Brian Van Gorder, the worse I he, he got. Was be a stud, man. Oh, he, he was, was so good in 2014. But the longer he played under Van Gorder, the worse he got. I mean, there's a lot of guys like Max Redfield. I mean, there's a lot of guys I could look at and say if he would have played for you know Mike Elko and like if Mike Elko would have got hired, if, what Brian Kelly should have done is he should have got rid of Brian Van Gorder after 2014. I mean, yeah. the writing was on the wall, Ryan. They gave up 29 points a game. It was, it was a mess with a bunch of future NFL players. Yeah. It was like, guys, this is not going to work. Like, you can use all the injuries excuses in the world. I don't care who you had injured. You shouldn't have lost Northwestern at home. I'm sorry. You shouldn't have. He should have been gone after 2014. And let's just say they would have hired Mike Elko at the time, who I believe was was uh, at, at, actually still at Wake Forest at the time, if I remember correctly. He had just come – yeah, 14 was his first year at Wake Forest. He was at Bowling Green the four years before that. Let's just say hypothetically Mike Elko comes over. Or you would have gone and got like a Dave Aranda, somebody like that, right? Just like a, a really good defensive coordinator. Could you imagine what that D-line in 2015 would have done with Sheldon Day and Romeo Aquara and Jerron Jones if he would have been healthy? But even without him, Isaac Rochelle – Jerry Tillery, Andrew Trembetti was one of the most wasted players in Notre Dame on the D line ever. Oh, I thought he was remember how good he was too, as a freshman in 2014. He was. I remember so him. At, I remember him as a high schooler, and then he played in. I th- I forget if it was the Under Armour game or was the U.S. Army game, but like Under he dominated Armour. all week yes. in practice. Man, he was yes. really good, and he was really good as a freshman in Notre Dame, and they just wasted him after that. Andrew Trembetti could have been a really good football player under a real defensive coordinator. Like yeah. he would have been like rotating with Romeo in 2015. They'd have been a dynamic punch, punt, one two punch. And then Romeo leaves after 2015, and Andrew steps in in 2016 under Elko and goes off playing that Viper position. Like, man, that would have been fun to watch. So pick a defensive player on the 25th, 25th. Niles Morgan is another guy that I would throw into that conversation that was wasted. Uh, pick any, any, any defensive player from 
2015 to 2014 to 2016. And I'll say that guy got wasted by the coaching staff at Notre Dame. That's that. Uh, yeah. That's what I'll say. So very, very, just hope we're not, we're past all that. I hope we'll see. We had Robert Matichek. I, I've nailed that name now, by the way. I've actually nailed it. Mailbag over under one and a half personally sustained minor injuries while over celebrating Saturday. I had multiple air punches, muscle pulls versus Navy and foresee even more opportunities tomorrow. Have a great one. Well, so for you, I'm going to go over. For me, I'm going to go under because I'm in the press box on Saturday. So I have to be calm and normal. But for you, Robert, I'm going to go over because I think we're going to see some big plays on Saturday. I, I, um, uh, I'll i say over for Vince under for me. So well, Vince gonna... is going to be in the press box too. Yeah. So, so he's got he's to be calm. Cool he's got to be calm. Oh, you know what? Here's one. So I'm guaranteed if Notre Dame dominates, like just really looks really good on Saturday, yeah, uh, I will suffer at least one minor injury because that – knucklehead always punches me in the leg when he gets really excited yes. like dude but yeah so i'll get one but i'm gonna still go under on that Got one because that'll Sounds be the good. only one that i suffer but yes if notre dame looks good i'll have at least one injury and then that might lead to an injury for vince later but it won't be during the game <laughs> yes i will also be mine will definitely be an under because i will not be punching things so yes. i'll be good i'll be good yes uh here's a really good question from chief brody Ryan. Chief said, did the recruiting from the 2012 run set up the success in 2015? If so, maybe the 2020 run for Notre Dame has set up a 2023 run. It played a big role. I mean, if you look at that class, that 2013 class, so the 2012 year led to the 2013 class. Corey Robinson, Will Fuller, Durham Smythe, Torian Folston, Malik Zaire, Steve Elmer, Mike McGlinchey, Jalen Smith, Isaac Rochelle, Cole Luke, Max Redfield, James Onwalu. That's a lot of guys that played on those teams, right? Like, like that was really, really good. And then 2014, you go out there and the overall class wasn't as good, but where they did have success that year, they had really good success. You know, you got Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser in back-to-back years. The 2014 class got you Alex Bars, Quentin Nelson, and Sam Mustafer. Quentin was the only one that started on that 2015 team, right? But you still got players that really helped you. Uh, Drew Tranquil, Nick Watkins, guys eventually, you know, were, were, were backups on some of those teams. But it certainly played a big role given them that over-the-top talent, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, there were still a lot of pre-2012 guys on the 2015 team, recruits. But like Sheldon Day uh, was was one. But you look at – the, the 13 class and what they added, then there's a lot of impact players. And does, does Notre Dame keep Jalen Smith in the class if they're nine and three or eight and four again, like they'd been in the past? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I, that would have been tough. W- would they have been able to keep, you know, Max Redfield in the class or landed him in January if, if the team was eight and five again, like they had been? Um, I, I don't think so. And, and to the second part of the question, you know, could, could the 2020 run, impact uh, i don't i think less of that less so of that because i mean if you look at the 2020 uh run the first class from that i don't i don't know if a lot of the guys that notre dame got from that were because of that run i you know i don't think they got aldrich estimate late because they went to the playoff they flipped them from michigan state like i mean they were 
He was going to come their name. They didn't get Blake Fisher because of that run. He was going to come their name no matter what. They didn't get Joe Walt because of that run. Rocco Spindler committed before they really got rolling that year. He committed in August. So a lot of their top – Gabriel Ruby had been committed for over a year. Jason Onye committed before that. Um, You know, I I don't know that that run really had an impact. I mean, Deion Colsey, Lorenzo Styles had been committed to Notre Dame for a while. You know, Dion recommitted Notre Dame. They got Jaden Thomas late, but I don't think they got him because of that run. I think if Notre Dame wins, you're going to see a lot of it's going to be because of guys that have been added since Marcus Freeman has gotten here. Transfers and then the younger classes. Like the tw- If Notre Dame wins a title in 23 this year, it's going to be a lot because of the 22 class and the transfers more so than – OG, look at that 21. Now, 21 will play a very important role, Ryan. You've got Joe yeah. Walton, Blake Fisher. It's but my point is, yeah. you didn't get those guys because of the 2020 run. They right. were already there. They were going to come to Notre Dame. You didn't beat out big-time schools like you did with like Jalen Smith and Max Redfield and some of those big-time right. recruits from the 2013 class. That's if, the if Joe Walton didn't go to Notre Dame, where would he have went? Iowa, Probably Minnesota? Iowa or Wisconsin. Iowa. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one of those. Yeah. Gotcha. So, you know, I just – I don't know that that run had the same impact as this one, especially since there was a coaching change. Sure. And so, yeah, I, I think titles at Notre Dame will, will be a lot because of the 22 to 24 classes and then some transfers. Because, again, you guys, you take Sam Hartman off this football team and we have a, we're having a completely out, different outlook about their, their results for the season. Let's just be honest sure. about that. Like yeah. – Ten and two, baby. Let's do it. Come on. Let, you know what I mean? Like, there's tons of talent in a lot of places, but the drop off a quarterback would be enormous. I mean, you'd still have Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner, and, and you'd be hoping, oh, please, Tyler, stay healthy. Please, Tyler, stay healthy. Please, Tyler, stay healthy, and stop throwing pick sixes. You'd hope that he was developed. You'd hope that he had developed the way that you want to, but it'd still be a big question mark, right? Right. I mean, that's the thing is I'm still very high on Tyler's talent. But the develop he's lost too much development time and had too many injuries at this point in time. It just his went his window's shrinking of success, right? Yeah, now, and so. it would have been that way even if he stayed at Notre Dame, I believe. And then he could have looked at like a million bucks against Navy and like a million bucks against Marshall and like a million bucks against Tennessee State, and then got hurt in the first quarter against Central Michigan. And you're back to where you were a year ago, quarterback. So yep. the transfer portal will have a big, big impact on that, in my opinion. We had another one from John A. One. It says, now that you've had a chance to see both both at practice, who is more physically gifted, Brandon Vernon or Tyson Ford? I'd probably still give a slight edge to Tyson Ford because it's athletic. It's a conversation, just, though. It's a very good con- – I think you could look at yeah. – like Brennan is a little bit more powerful. Tyson's a little bit twitchier. They're very similar. Physically. I'd say Bre- Brennan's. I, I would. I would coin Brennan after seeing him in person. I think he's very smooth. I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily say maybe like crazy twitchy though, like right. super like mm-hmm. explosive. But he's just really smooth, man. I said. Really I thought smooth. I said Ford was the twitchy one. Did I? You said twitch, You said Ford was the twitchy one. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. I said I was saying that I wouldn't say Brennan Vernon was necessarily twitchy. I would call him gotcha. smooth. Gotcha. Not, not twitchy. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're building on the conversation, not pushing back on. I you, got you. you. I thought yeah. that maybe you, you know said what. You know, you know what Brent, who Brennan Vernon kind of reminds me of, like physically, is a little bit of Joey Bosa, as far okay. as. Yeah. Joey wasn't twitched up. Joey was just long and super smooth, man. Like that's what he was. Brennan kind of gives me those vibes. Powerful, yeah. smooth, long. Like that's kind of where right. I see with Brennan. A little Robert. unorthodox looking. Yeah. 
his yes. movements are a little unorthodox. Joey Bosa was like awkward looking a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like, like Nick, high-legged. Nick was yeah. real like smooth and explosive. Joey yes. was kind of awkward looking even a little bit. But then you're like, okay, he just dominated. But like when he would run, he would like <laughs> yeah. move kind of funny, right? He yeah. wasn't as clean a weird of an gate. athlete as Nick. Got a was. weird gait. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. Great way of putting it. Yeah, he's just like high legged, so like everything kind of yep. looks like a he's like a mad stork type of thing, you know, like kind of has that vibe to him. Yeah, so. agree. We had another one from John A. One says, "Which Notre Dame unit will be consistently stronger in twenty twenty three, offense or defense?" My hope is the same is the same as what I think. I think it will be the defense, and I hope it will be the defense. Yeah, I, I think I think consistency is the key word there, John. I think consistently it'll be defense. I think the higher peaks will be the offense, though. So I think the ups is a little bit higher. But I think that defense just has a little bit more experience at a lot of different yep. spots. So I would say you agree. need to uh, consistency on there. Agree. Agree. It's a really it's good question. Similar, there, John. similar type of question. John always comes with the great questions. John says, based on what you've seen so far, which players would you say is in Notre Dame's most effective personnel, which has been Notre Dame's most effective personnel grouping? I mean, it's, it's, during practice, I would have said 11. During the game, first game, I'd have said 12. I mean, it, it just – Yeah, it looked good in 12. I, I don't know that I could say that there's a different one. And I, the reason I don't even think I would answer the question anyway is because I don't think you can – one personnel grouping is not going to be as effective without the balance of the others, in my yeah. opinion. But it's different. Practice 11 looked the best, and game 12 looked really good. 11 was good, but 12 looked really good. Just, they used it a lot more as well. Yeah, so that's part. They of it. they came out and they ran a lot of twelve man. I was a little surprised by that. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Which is, I think it works so well early that they're just like, yeah. let's keep riding it. I mean, I, yeah. that's what it really came down. Let's see, let's make Navy stop it. Yes, and they couldn't. I, I I wouldn't I would not be surprised if you were to sit there and sit down with with Jared Parker and Gino Gadouli and some of those coaches and be like, well, so was this your plan along? Or like, actually, our plan was to do this, this, and this also. But right. they just couldn't stop our our inside zone and our our duo, so we just kept running it. And those were the looks that we had practiced out of it all week. Was that twelve personnel stuff? I like I think they had some outside stuff planned too, Ryan, that they just never needed yeah. to get to because Navy could not stop what they were already doing. And that to me is good coaching. Don't go to some like this is what exactly. I, I I like Tom Reese more than most personally and as a as a potential coordinator. But one of the frustrating things for him, and this is something he got from Brian Kelly, is he would just run stuff to get it all out there. And it was right. kind of like they would run like a play twice in a series and it would work great. And we'd like never see it again. And you're like, that's what I liked about Chip Long. Chip Long was like, dude, if you can't stop this, I'm not going to run anything else until you stop that. You know what I mean? Like sure. if you've yet to stop inside zone, why would I stop running inside zone? Like I just, exactly. I mean, yeah. you'd see that in 2017 and even to a degree in 2018 and 2019. It's like, look, they have yet to stop G scheme. So we're just going to keep running G scheme until they stop it. <laughs> Right. You know, and we'll have, I mean, that's a little bit simplified. I mean, they'd still run other stuff, but like they would keep going to this base run or these base runs until you stopped it. And whereas Notre Dame would kind of stop themselves the past few years, like they would run stuff and it would work. And then they would like take themselves out of it. Right. It's like, well, well what did you do that for? Like, I'll never, like, I remember the 2012 or 2011 season where Notre Dame's just dominating Florida State in the bowl game. I mean, that defensive line was eating Florida State up in the bowl game in 2011. In the second half, they just went away from it. For no reason of anything Florida State had done, they just went away from it and let Florida State get back. We saw that so much under the, under Brian Kelly. And that's a coach that's scheme-driven. 
And it's like, well, we, you know, this is what we practice and we got to get to this call and this call and this call. It's like, no, you don't. (laughs) If they can't stop that, you don't need to go away from it. I mean, you mix other things in, but just until they stop duo and inside zone, just keep running duo and inside zone. Like, you know, you have stuff queued up in that game, but you know, like, and that's what I loved about the Clemson game last year, Ryan, is that was one of the few times Tommy Reese just kept stuck to what they were doing because Clemson didn't have any answers. Just kept running it. Game. But th- yeah. we didn't see that enough, in my opinion, uh, and and I think that's also partly because of the experience he got with 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 Brian Kelly. I, I think being with Nick Saban, I have a feeling we're gonna see him kind of be like, "Hey, dude, why why are we going away from this? This was working. Right. Why would we go away from it? Well, you know, we we did no no. Till they stop that, keep running that. Yes, that's something Nick Saban will say that Brian Kelly would have never dreamed of saying during his right. tenure. Well, that, that's, that's we gotten the, to such and such yet. You know, we, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's the crutch of coaching sometimes, man, is like guys get like, so driven on, I need to do this, this, and this. It's like adjustments is what makes a great coach, right? Like feel is what makes a great coach. If something's working, steer into it, man. Like don't just avoid it. I mean, and, and again, I'm not saying this about Tommy necessarily. I'm because it's this about me, a, lot it was a Brian Kelly thing. Because right. Mike Dembrock had that problem. Chuck Martin had that problem. Because I think that was a – because Brian Kelly always had his hands in the cookie jar when it came to the offense. Sure. I, I think a lot of coaches have that problem, though, it, for the most part. You know, like it's not an every coach thing, but there's a lot of coaches that I think are just so driven off of meticulous, right? Especially offensive coordinators. They're like, here's my script. I need to stick to my script. I can't go away from my script. I need to, I need to hit these areas. And I also think analytics has kind of driven – some coaches to that area as well. It's like, I need to run this type of play 37% of the time today because they've shown that they can't stop it until the day that they can stop it is the day that you're playing them and you don't have an adjustment off of it. So I think coaches can be their worst enemy sometimes, man. And just be like, dude, you don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't, it doesn't always have to be the perfect play, right? Like sometimes the perfect play can also still work. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Here is, let's get down to, I want to get down to a good one here, Ryan. Okay. And go to, let's get down to, let me see. All right. I'm trying to get, oh, here we go. Okay. Here's a good one, Ryan. Okay. And the next question we have is from Mark Avalone. Thank you so much, Mark. So thoughts on Deuce Knight, not stellar performance with high-level competition at Lipscomb. Mark, I, I think that one, I think that there's a lot of context that needs to go to this conversation, right? So for people that don't know Deuce Knight, he was at George County High School in Loosedale, Mississippi. He transferred to Lipscomb Academy in the state of Tennessee, but he did so very late in the process, like right before the season started, right? So only a couple of weeks beforehand, he makes the move to Lipscomb Academy. So there's some adjustment p- period that needs to happen with Deuce just in general as far as getting used to the offense, getting used to the players around him, how the players, how the coaches call a game, like all those things, those, those little nuances of football, I think are one that needs to be kind of taken into account. But I will say this. I watched the Lipscomb Academy game against IMG Academy the first week. I thought Deuce played really well, man. He was uh, – that game would have gotten a lot uglier if it was a different quarterback because he made some magic happen. I mean, he ended up being like 25 of 37 for 230-something yards, a touchdown. But for me, like if you watch that game, 
He broke a ton of tackles. He kept the game extended as a passer and as a runner. I thought he actually played really well against IMG. Not as good in the second week, but he also threw the game-winning touchdown to t- that would have tied the game, but then they missed the extra point. So I think Deuce has actually played pretty well for the most part. I would just say it's like most things. Let's give it a couple weeks more of him getting really acclimated to the surroundings, to the schedule, to the facility, like everything that goes in, involved in being a good football player. But I think I, I wouldn't hyper-focus on that. I actually think Deuce has been mostly very good in the first two weeks. There's been some ups and downs, of course. But especially in that first week, I thought he played really, really well against IMG for what he was kind of thrown into there. So great question, though, man. Really appreciate it as always, Mark. Let's go to the next question. Looks like we have Pete Weber. What's up, Pete? Says, mailbag, what does a typical Notre Dame game day schedule look like for you on a day where you're working? So I'm actually going to – I'm Pete, I'm actually going to come back to that one. I didn't read it before I started, but I want Brian to answer that because he more covers the games. Actually, he's coming back now. So I will get this question up actually, and then we'll take it from here as Brian comes back. So Pete Weber again. Mailbag, what does a typical Notre Dame game day schedule look like for you on a day where you are working, Brian? Depends on if it's a day game or a night game. Sure. Tomorrow, for example, I'll get up kind of early. And first thing I do, Ryan, is just Saturday morning is one of those few days I get to relax and just kind of chill. Maybe take my wife out to breakfast, (laughs) something, you know. And then I'll, you know, make sure, because I'll have stories already published, set to publish from the night before. I'll have edited everything, got all that set up, podcast will be up, all that stuff will be ready to rock and roll. And then what I'll do is I'll get a couple, like, kind of game day articles ready and, you know, what to look for and some things like that. Then we'll probably leave for the stadium probably around 11, 30, 12 from the house. Takes about 20 minutes to get there, plus we'll have traffic, and Notre Dame has the weirdest, like, things that they do for traffic. Like I feel like they create problems or I shouldn't say Notre Dame South Bend police do things that I think create problems as opposed to like fixing them or staying ahead of them. I leaving you know. a game is terrible every single time. Yeah. It's awful. Getting in yeah. isn't as bad. Getting out stinks, yeah. man. They it's just do some really nice. dumb stuff in my opinion, but it is what yeah. it is. Yeah. So we'll get there. And then what I'll normally do is once I'm there, I kind of head to the stadium and, go upstairs and get set. I'll watch a little college football, grab a little snack and then start prepping for the game. You know, get my cards ready, get my station ready, you know, get on the message board, make sure I get the ready for to get the live chat going, check for any injury updates. What, when the team comes out to do stretch, see if there's anybody missing, you know, see if anybody's got a boot on their leg, you know, anything like that. And then, um, you know, I'll just kind of just relax and get ready for the game, watch pregame, you know, see what I see in pregame, just kind of get a feel if I can get any kind of feel for the energy level, kind of like I did as a coach. You don't read too much until Ooh, this quarterback is released. I remember one game, I'm trying to remember who it was, but the oh, I can't remember if it was Jack Cohen or if it was an Ian, a year where Ian, it might have been Ian Book. And Ian Book was crap during pregame. I mean, Ryan, he was missing like three, four routes on air, just not even close. And I'm thinking, uh oh. <laughs> And I don't remember which game it was, but I just remember like thinking he needs to suck like that in pregame more often because he just went out in that game and just ripped it up. I mean, he was great in that particular game. He got his game. bad throws out of the way. Yeah, I was just like, like, okay, <laughs> that's not what I thought. You know, usually you kind of, as a yeah. coach, you start getting and, – and and I remember one game like just watching 
the special teams coach was just in the kicker's ear, just yep, 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 yep. And I'm like, this is not going to go good. I think the guy missed like two kicks in that game. Just like, dude, leave him alone. You know, so you look for some little stuff like that, but some of the stuff you just can't read into. Like, like I said, the, the example of the end book where he just was awful in pregame, awful. Might have even thrown a pick. I mean, it was like it was so bad. On it was like one of the worst pregames I've ever seen. <laughs> but he was when the game. He was so good when the game. Like you made it. He had all his mistakes out in pregame, and he was really good when the game started. I can't even remember which game it was. I think it was 2019. I think is when it was, but it was just like okay, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll certainly take it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just I try to I try to stay kind of relaxed on game day. You know, just make sure I've got my schedule and stay on schedule. Now, night games are a little different. Uh, if if we're tailgating, which we will for the Ohio State game, for example, I mean, we're we're at the stadium like around noon, you know, two o'clock at the latest, and I'm just hanging out talking to people the whole time, and then I'll go start my game day routine. That's a little different because I usually get up to the stadium a little bit later when we're having a tailgate than I normally do because my plan is always to once the players are out, I'm in the stadium. But then you know me, Ryan, I get to talking and I realize, oh crap, the game starts in 30 minutes and I got to hustle into the press box. So hopefully I'll be a little bit better about that this year. We'll see. I, I'm I'm not betting on me uh <laughs> me being better about that. As long as you get to the end result, buddy, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Did you already answer this or or, well, I, I didn't know if they wanted my because you're you're doing it in person, obviously gotcha. at the stadium and everything. It'd be but, kind of interesting yeah. what yours is like since you're, you know, not since you aren't at the stadium. Sure. Uh, I mean, on most days, I mean, it, it also depends if it's a home or away game because I might be checking in with some recruits to seeing how everything's going so far in the morning, depending on if it's a home game or not. I mean, that's kind of the first and foremost. I pretty much go through like the beginning of my day being dead until about, you know, depending on when the game is a couple hours beforehand. And then we get into the cycle and make sure that I am watching the game. Obviously I'm comfortable and then go on the message board, make sure all you hooligans are relaxed and behaving yourselves on there and then kind of monitor throughout the rest of the game. And then depending on where I have to do the post game show, I'll make sure that I get there. Like last week I had to leave, the Navy game with like five minutes left in order to drive over to make sure I was set up for the post game show. So it's kind of my process. Here's a, an interesting question kind of about that. Pete Weber says, can you write about things you see in pregame in real time, like on Twitter or is it frowned upon? It's not frowned upon. I can write about whatever I want to write about. I just choose usually not to every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll say, Hey, so-and-so like the only thing I'll really say about pregame is like, Hey, so-and-so was working with the ones during pregame. You know, because if there was a question mark about, you know, hey, we're not sure who's J.D. Bertrand's out for the Navy game last year. Okay, Ryan, you're there. See who's working with the ones during pregame. Okay, J.D. Sure. wasn't out there. Um, Jack Kaiser was working, you know, whatever. I think it was like um, the North Carolina game I was at last year where J.D. was suspended for the first half because of the targeting yeah. from the previous game. So pregame, I'm like, okay, who's a Mike? All right, who's lined up a Mike? And it was Jack Kaiser. And so you're like, okay, I may have, I don't even know if I did, I may have commented on that. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I used to like con, kind of comment on that stuff, but like the problem is people would take it wrong. Yeah. Was, hey, you know, so-and-so just threw two sweet passes. And then of course it turns into, that's why he should be starting. And it's just like, okay, it's not, was not my intention. I just was telling you what I observed. Or what are you trying to say? Like, you think he should be starting? Like, oh, I just literally just said he threw two nice passes in a row. I, I don't know why you're turning this into something it's not. So I just was like, it's not worth it. And the other thing, too, is I don't comment on Twitter during games anymore. Yeah. Um, like, I have found that there's a lot of people that just like information for free, and they think they're entitled to information for free. Yeah. And um, 
Twitter, we don't monetize Twitter. We don't make any money off of Twitter. And so I make money off of this, the podcast, and the message board and the web and the website. So we'll uh we'll keep all of our, in, our analysis of the game into those platforms. And if yeah. you don't want that, that's up to you, but that's that's where my content's going to be. Pete, Twitter was so three weeks ago, sir. Like, can we just get over this at this point? It's X, man. No, it's Twitter. I'm not calling it X. Not happening. It's my that's my thing. Caleb Calvert says, who is one freshman you're most excited about seeing play in the third or fourth quarter? I think we answered that yesterday, and we've talked about them, Ryan. For me, it was I want to see Braylon James on offense. I want to see him run a couple deep routes. Uh, I want to see, um, of the freshmen, I want to see the defensive linemen and and the linebackers. I'm really looking forward to seeing Drake Bowen and Jay Nosbury and the defensive linemen, Vernon, Mookum, Bubakar, Devin Houston, I'll see all of them. Yeah. Mookum's my guy, man. I want to see Armand Mookum because he is a completely different body type than what he was as a senior, man. Yeah. He's now 6'3", 280 pounds. Like, he's a big old boy now, right? I would want to see Armand Mookum. I would like to see Braylon James as well. I would love to see Drake Bowen. And, I mean, honestly, I would like to see all three linebackers if you get him yep. in the football game. I would also like to see a couple of those young safeties as well. Like, if you get Ben Minnick or Adon Schuler in the game in the third and fourth quarter, just see what it looks yeah. like. Like, I mean, they – Adon Schuler strikes me as one of those kids that's like just going to be a, a gamer. You know, yes. it's like he's just a good football player all the time. Like that's just never gonna like, never gonna like wow, what a great practice. It just you know exactly. But then the game, yeah, I think that's a great observation. The reason I didn't say Pre- just so people are clear, the reason I didn't say Preston Zinner's name, I don't think yeah. Preston Zinner is going to help them this year. I want him to be a redshirt guy. So seeing him against Tennessee State doesn't really mean a whole lot. I would like to see Drake and Jaden be in the rotation this year. And, and kind of space that. I want to see. I want to see Preston spaced out a little bit from the Jalen Sneed, Nolan Ziegler, and then even the Drake Bowen in the other class. I think that would be ideal for me. Sure. So that's why Preston wasn't really on my radar. But that's you know, we we didn't see a lot from Preston in the spring. Like all camp, he looked lost, and he comes out in the spring game, looked pretty flipping good. Yeah, he's, he's another one of those guy guys could gamer. be like that, right? He could just be like that. You know, it's like, you know, he yeah. you just watch him and he's not as athletic as Drake as as uh he's not as explosive as Drake, he's not as smooth as Jaden, and hey, he's pretty big, but yeah, he just doesn't do anything for me in practice. Yeah. Then you get to the game and you look down, and you're like, dude had 13 tackles. <laughs> you're like, you know, like he just strikes me as that kind of guy. I, I kind of want to see Cooper Flanagan as well, just yeah. as well, just because he's so big. Like I just want to yeah. see him on the field. You know, like he's a yeah. two hundred sixty. How funny would it be if they don't throw to the tight ends at all again, starters, and then they get and to the backups? One. Yeah. And like Cooper's the first guy to catch a pass at tight end this year. <laughs> be wild, man. Be yeah. wild. It's a big target though, yeah. man. So I don't blame the quarterback yeah. for looking that way. I mean, it's a big yep. dude. Yeah, I, I love this comment from Archer Ryan. He says, if, if a 13 to 10 game with two atrocious offenses isn't the most Big Ten way to start the season, I'm not sure what is. Spot on. I'm, I'm just saying, man, I'm picking, like, if I was a betting man, Minnesota, every Minnesota game would be an underplay for me for yep. the rest of the season. That for two reasons, Ryan, good, right? How bad their offense great. is and how ju- how good Joe Rossi's defense is. Yes. 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 If you can guarantee me that Iowa's offense is and you're the same as last year, I would also bet them with the under almost every single game. When Iowa and Minnesota play, I'm very curious to see what the over-under is going to be on that. There was a game last year. I forget who it was, but it was Iowa and it was someone where the the spread was set at 32 and a half and they went under 32 and a half. 32 and a half. (laughs) For the over-under, not the spread of the game, just the over-under. 
uh, uh, combined points, 32 and a half points. Right. Between the two. Wow. Yeah. I know yeah. the difference I'm yeah. saying is like not yeah. 32 and a half point win spread, but no, no, 32 no, 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 and a half over no. under? Over under total wow. points, yeah. 32 and a they half. They had a lot of games under. like that, Ryan. Like, oh, my gosh. I mean, Iowa had a lot of games like that. I'm surprised it, they didn't it have more. It got steady like though, man, because it was like 40 points, and then they're like, eh, yeah. "Let's move it to 38." Eh, Here, here's the combined points that we saw in Iowa games last year: 10, 17, 27, 37, 41, 15, 64. Iowa only had 10 of those. 46, 27, 34, 23, 41. In twenty-one, Ugh. it's not great, man. No, hey man, and they won eight games game this year, though. They won eight games, Ryan. Eight games. Iowa last year on offense won games by scoring seven, twenty-seven, twenty-seven, thirty-three, twenty-four, twenty-four, thirteen, twenty-one. Yeah, they lost a game, giving up ten points. They lost a game, giving up nine points. Last year. Well, I mean, I always think back to the first game of the season against South Dakota State, where they won. Uh, what was it ten to ten? To, they won seven, seven to, three, to three and did not there score. Was no touchdowns. <laughs> no touchdowns. <laughs> Two yeah. safeties. So their, their defense way. scored more points than their offense. Yes. Did. Well, the special teams did. I shouldn't even yes. say offense did. But yeah. so Vince and I were in the car that day driving to Columbus. Yeah. And so, like, when we heard the score, we're like, "Man, all Iowa got was a, a touchdown." Oh. And then when we saw, we're like, "Wow." Or no, no, what happened was is they said Iowa won seven to three, and we're like, how could that be? Because earlier in the game they'd announced it was it was like they were it was like they were losing three to two. Like how <laughs> how could they have won seven to three if they were losing three to two? Yeah. It didn't even in my head didn't even contemplate that they could have got another safety and a field goal. Yeah. Like I've never seen yep. that before. That was and the won. ugliest offensive game I've and ever seen in my life. One. That uh, I, wonder what the total, I wonder what the total yards of that game was. That was didn't ugly, South man. Dakota State win the national championship last year? Oh, yeah. Really good team. Yeah. Yeah. So in that game, Iowa had 166 yards of offense, and North Dakota State had 120. So 286 total yards of offense in that game. Uh, Yards per play was probably The fact that Phil Parker is not the highest paid defensive coordinator in football is a travesty. I bet yards per play that game was like three something or maybe four. Like it had to be something well, terrible. <laughs> Iowa State was a two point seven, oh. and South Dakota was a two point one. Oh, so now I I way overestimated that one. Then yeah. I said two point something to start with. I should have stuck with it, but yeah, yep, Ugh. yeah, that was really bad. Yes, really bad. Ugh. Nick Ratliff with a question: Do you think we see Steve Angeli take the lion's share of the second half snaps? Any chance of Minchie, or would they save him for a red shirt purposes? Well, we had another question from uh, Mason Plummer. He says, "Any chance we see Minchie? Uh, I'd imagine El- Angeli gets as many snaps as possible. I want to see both, but if it only comes down to like I'm, but I'm not taking snaps away from that. That I think, and like if Angeli only gets in for a series, yeah." I'm not putting in Minchie after one series because there's only maybe one series left in the game. Unless, yeah. unless it's that close. If it's like really close between those two, I'm, I want to get Minchie going. Cause with all due respect to Steve Angeli, I mean, no disrespect here. I know a lot of people take it that way. He's just not as physically gifted as Kenny Minchie. He's just not. And I don't think it's close to be honest with you. And so if it's already close, then yeah, I may push Minchie, but I don't know that it's close right now. And if it's not close right now, and, and Steve is your clear backup, then I then he needs the work. 
I mean, he needs to run the I, I, I want to see at least three series with Steve Angeli in this game. And if you can get yeah. that out of him, then, okay, fine, let's get Kenny in the game then. But I think you need at least three. I'd give him one with the first group, and then I'd give him two with the backups, and then I'd go to Kenny if there was time left. That's what I would do in this game. That'd be cool. But yeah, if Steve is that. clearly your number two, he needs to work, in my opinion. Yeah. If it's close, though, I'm telling you, right, if it's close, though, then I want to get both of them in the game. And, and that'll be very telling. Like, if, if Angeli comes in there for, like, a series or two, and then Minchie goes in there for us for a couple series. That tells me that this quarterback battle at number two is a lot closer. I, my... I'd be really pumped if I could see Kenny Minchie this Saturday. I'll just Agreed. leave it at that. I'd be very, very Agreed. excited if I see him. Because that tells Agreed. me the game went really well. And we also get to see a very talented quarterback that may be the future of Notre Dame football Agreed. eventually. So I'll be very happy. Agree. We had a mailbag from PK. It says, Brian, you and Ryan consistently mentioned the country's top High school of high school players. Take a look at St. Francis Baltimore 2023 schedule. Yeah. It might be the most difficult all time in high school history. Thoughts? He's not wrong, Ryan. So here's who bad, here's right? who yeah. St. Francis plays. They played Buford and George in their opener. Yep. They played Shamanai Madonna in Florida in game two. Who, who has who has two of the best athletes in the entire country? Not even counting. Uh, they have Patterson at safety as well, but they have Jeremiah Smith. They have Josiah Trader. They have the, the yeah. running back, Davion Goss. It's a very good Jamina Madonna team. Yes. Who went 13-1 and one last year, yeah. and their only loss was at the end of the year in some sort of national game against Bishop Gorman, right. by the way. Uh, so beat, beat, you know, beat Washington, St. John's in Washington, D.C. last year. They beat American Heritage last year. Their number three game coming up, uh, this or this weekend, they play East St. Louis, who's usually one of the best teams in Illinois, has a bunch of D1 guys on it. Yep. Then next Friday, they go to St. John Bosco. Then the next week, they play at Salt Lake City West, who's a pretty good team in Utah. Like they're like nine and three last year. Yep. Then they're home against Modern Day, that Modern Day, correct? Ooh. The Santa Ana Modern Ooh. Day. Then they have a road game against St. Thomas More in, in Oakdale, Connecticut. It's a prep school. Which which is a good team. They have a, a bunch of good football players on that team. Yeah, yeah. Mount Zion Prep Academy, which I'm not overly familiar with. Yeah. National Christian Academy in, in Maryland. And then they end the season uh, at IMG. So in one season, they've got to play IMG, Modern Day, St. John Bosco, Buford, Shamanad Madonna, and East St. Louis in one season. Sucks. That's man. uh that's <laughs> why, why did they do that to those kids? That's brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. Oh, St. John yeah. Bosco looks good, by the way. Yes, I mean, they do. I should be really shocked that the national champion, state champion yeah. should look really good, but like they, they lost good. a lot of players, though. I mean, they lost some dudes, but yeah, that number yeah. 27 at linebacker for old St. Yes. John Bosco's they got some guys pretty darn man. good so far. Yeah, yeah, they got some guys, they got some dudes. That's one heck of a high school linebacking group. Right there, right. Oh, House and uh, Lockhart. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kingston is a backup for the team. So, like, <laughs> crazy. Stop. <laughs> Stop. David M., thoughts on Jalen Milrow winning the Alabama job and how that impacts Tyler's future? I mean, Jalen Milrow is their starting quarterback for Middle Tennessee. I, I, if Look, I'll tell you, whoever won the starting quarterback job, I don't think that they're, like, entrenched as the starting quarterback from all sounds of it. What does it mean for Tyler's future? I mean, I, I don't know that it means anything for Tyler's future right now. I think the only future it impacts is the one for tomorrow. But to, what if Jalen Milrow doesn't play well? What if he gets hurt? Right. Do they go to Ty Simpson? Do they go to Tyler Buckner? Do they go to Nil and Lonergan? I don't know the answer to that. 
all that I can say is this is exactly why Tyler should never go on to Bama. Ryan, in order to, for that to work in the locker room, he would have had to be head and shoulders above the other quarterbacks. Yeah. And I don't know that he was able to do that in just a fall camp. Like yeah. if you, if you wanted to go to Bama, he should have gone to Bama in January. Now, kudos to Tyler for wanting to stay and compete with starting job. I, I'm not sure. hammering him for that, but the only chance you're going to have at Bama was to go sooner. In my opinion, I just, I never liked this decision to begin with. I wanted it to go well, but I never thought it was smart. He should have gone to Stanford. He should have gone somewhere like that. I mean, you've mentioned a couple of schools that would have made sense. I mean, TCU. those are the, yeah, 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 those are the kind of places he should have looked at. That one never made sense to me. Just never yeah. did. And, um, you know, especially now that Bama's looking to get back to being more of a, um, I think a little bit more like they used to be, not so much the, I mean, just when has Bama ever been like a read zone, power read, quarterback run type of team? I mean, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, that's right? about like, it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, Tua would scramble, but they weren't doing a ton of that. So, I mean, they oh, no, he, he wasn't a design quarterback. Yeah, he'd guy. pull like the occasional read zone if they overplayed the backside, but they weren't like running with him a million times. I, I guess Blake Sims would do some of that stuff, right? When he was the quarterback. Yeah, you had to. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. and that's why they kind of moved on. They wanted to move on from Blake, and yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just not really who Bama is, in my opinion. So I, you know, I just I hope it works out well for the kid. But you didn't get your degree from Notre Dame. That that was a mistake to go to Bama. Like yeah. if you'd have done that and gone to Stanford, you know, you still got two years or whatever left of of time left. I mean, you know, maybe Stanford wasn't an option. Maybe they don't take undergrad transfers. I I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe that wasn't something you could have done, but. I have yeah. to think of taking classes at Notre Dame and Tyler took real classes at Notre Dame. I mean, Tyler was a good student. I, I'd, I'd be shocked if Stanford couldn't have got him in, but I mean, there, there's a whole lot of better options that they could have had than, than he could have had than going there. In my opinion, I, Just, I, all, all I'll say is I think, I don't think this is the last time we're going to be talking about the quarterback position at Alabama this year, agree. as far as controversy. So we shall agree see. or a, or a, who's the starter now conversation. Exactly. So exactly. to that point, Ryan, if you're Tyler Buckner, bro, keep working. Yeah. Keep keep working. You're not you nothing you can do about the decision you made now. Keep grinding. Keep your time is going to come. And when it comes, go make the most of it. Because I also don't feel Tyler Buckner's the greatest practice player. That was the other right. issue when you're in this kind of battle. You're not a great practice player. You're a guy that needs to, you know, not have a red jersey. Tyler Buckner's never looked good when he has a red jersey on, unless the team he plays for just happens to be red. I mean, like, you know what I mean, Ryan? Like he's a guy that needs to be able to run around and scramble and make plays off script and throw the ball when somebody's right in his face like he did against South Carolina. Right. That's who Tyler Buckner is. You can't simulate that in practice to get the best out of him. And that's a, just another reason it just didn't make any sense for me that he went there. Agree. We had Kevin Marsalek who says, after now seeing the week zero and week, zero, week one games, we haven't seen all the week one games yet, but uh, which teams that struggled do you expect the biggest turnaround for the remainder of the season? That's a – that's a good one. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska ends up being a tough team and goes like seven and five. I mean, like maybe, I yeah. don't know. But I don't know if I would call their loss a turnaround. I mean, I think that was what they did last night would symbolize a tough seven and five team. They went on the road against a team that won nine games last year and took them down to the wire. I mean, I, that's, uh, that's evidence of a team. Like you said, Ryan, they went seven and five. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tur- uh, Navy, honestly, that might be one. I don't think Navy's going to be as bad as they were. Uh, this in the first game first of all navy's hasn't been great the last couple years in openers i mean they they lost to to, to delaware last year lost to memphis in week two uh got blown out by marshall 49 to 7 in 2021 
you know, so it's it's been a few years since they've really been good at an opener. Lost to BYU fifty five to three. So maybe Navy, but like you and I said last night, I don't know that there were any surprising games last night, right? I mean, I think Arizona State's going to be better than what they showed last night in the second half. Would you say that's fair? That's fair. Um, I don't expect USC to be as sloppy as they were in the opener all year. I mean, they're going to be better. They like here's a lot of these teams had typical game one issues. Like no, no, what Notre Dame did against Navy was not the norm for openers for Notre Dame or anybody, right? I mean, you just. You usually don't just come out in game one and you're just clicking. You know, you just usually don't see that. We've yeah. seen that a couple times from Notre Dame, Michigan 2018, Temple 2017. I mean, we've seen it a couple times, Navy 2010, but you just don't see that very often. I'm trying to think of another team, Ryan, that might fit that bill from what we've seen so far. And like you said, there's a lot of games to watch. A lot of games uh, to watch. You know, I think, I, Kevin, I think this would be a really good question to bring back up on like, Tuesday, right? After like we get to watch tomorrow's bag. games. Yeah, exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 I'll have a, yeah, it's a good one. Just Arizona State second half will be the best that I can come up with. Yeah. Just because of the weirdness of that whole thing. That was very strange. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Kyle Wade with the question. He says, We're all Notre Dame friends first, but are there other teams you actively root for? active fbs level i got kansas state iowa or indiana and virginia tech um i wouldn't say root for but like i mean i'm a local guy so like it'd be nice if Rutgers was good again like when shiana's first tenure i don't think it's ever going to happen in the big 10 but like that would be nice but i I wouldn't say actively root for now i tend to root for coaches that i like or stories storylines Right, like oh, I, I take that back. Utah's the team that I always kind of like gently. That's for, a good one because really you like always you always talk about Whittingham. Like yeah. I'm really looking for, I'm really kind of rooting for Washington to do well, just because I really like Kalen DeBoer, and I think the Michael Penix story is a good one. It, it'll be stuff like that. Like I actually kind of like Steve Sarkeesian, to be honest with you. I don't know, I don't know why. It's partly because I love his offense, and partly because you know, from everything I'm told, he went through a very dark time in his life, and it cost yep. him, and he's built himself back up. And by all accounts, he's turned his life around. I, I root for guys like that. I, that's very American to me, you know, p- you know, people that just are down on their luck or whatever, and just battle back and, you know, have to face their demons. And and I hope that he does well, although he's never been a really a, a great head coach, right? right? I mean, he's more of a great offense according to the head coach. I was a great I, offense of mine. Yeah. Great you know, Mike Elko, I, I root for Duke cause I love big Mike Elko fan. I mean, that, that's one it's it. I'm more like that. There's no, like no school that I would ever root for just because I root for so-and-so every year, whenever I would root for other schools, Ryan, it would it'd be more so like other sports. Like I grew up really liking Florida state baseball when I was a kid. Uh, I was a Michigan basketball fan as a kid. I hated Michigan's football team, but I love their basketball program when I was a kid, you know, Glenn Rice and that championship team, Lloyd Vault, Terry Mills, Rumi Robinson, and the fab five, you know, and, you know, so it was more of that when I was a kid. Like now, it's like you know, I I like storylines and I like there's coaches that I respect that I want to do well. I I have a lot of respect for Clark Lee as a human being. I mean, he and I have a lot of differences of opinion on politics and other type of things, but he's a really good, decent man who I want to see be. I like good people to be successful in this business, and I think Clark Lee is a good person. I think Mike Elko is a good man, and I want to see him be successful. So that's more of what I root for, Ryan. If there's a really cool storyline with a player. Hey, this quarterback missed two full years because of this 
traumatic thing that happened to him and he's now battling back. I'd love to see that kid be successful. Like sure. things like that are more what I root for as opposed to like another school, if that makes sense. Makes sense. It's like if Mike Elko moves to another school next year, I'm not rooting for Duke anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from.